2: Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, Racing's regular guy.
3: And thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. Well, the first leg of the Triple Crown is over, and now we enter into the final two legs, the Preakness and the Belmont Stakes. Our first guest will be a guy that gave you a $20.40 winner in the Kentucky Oaks. He believed in Baffert, a switch of equipment, and got the job done with Abel Tasman, who a lot of people uh, did, didn't believe in. I will also say the Daily Racing Forum's Dale Dan Illman, this was one of his picks. So the blinkers went on, and he turned the tables on heavily bet Paradise Woods. So it uh, will be honest, kind of look, uh, you know, what, what happened Derby Day and what could potentially happen on Preakness Day. Always look forward to his insights. One of my favorite guests and the former host of this show, and then our second guest, he's been with us often. He's uh, Matt Bernier's uh, stablemate on uh, DRF Live, Matt Bernier. And uh, big racing at Belmont Park this week. Uh, you've got the Grade 3 Peter Pan. Uh, you've got the Grade 3 Bogey. The Grade 1 war and the Grade 2 two ruffian, a couple of those races awful tough for the guy making the uh, line. So it'll be interesting uh, to see who who Matt came up with. Well, uh, hope you guys had a great uh, run for the roses because certainly it was a great one uh, for the team of John Velasquez and Todd Pletcher. Always dreaming, got the job done. Of course, if you watch the races over that two-day stretch, and I was in a lot of it, it was raining off and on. Well, pretty much Oaks Day, there was a drizzle for the whole day. It, ne- it never stopped. On Derby Day, They would stop for about two races, and then it would rain and then it would stop for about two races and then it would rain. The cool thing is you could look over your shoulder just before the run for the roses and see that there was nothing but blue skies and puffy white clouds. So we got the derby in with the sun shining, but the track was still off. Uh, Gave a few horses uh, an an excuse, but always dreaming, you know, a horse is just so explosive uh, in the Florida Derby. His first and only stakes appearance proved that he was no fluke. Even though we talked about you know, his training methods at Churchill, he was getting kind of weird in the morning. I guess he was just uh, uh, full of himself and uh, was not feeling bad. He was ready to roll, and roll he did in the Derby. It's great that John Velasquez and Todd Pletcher, who teamed up for so many stakes wins, finally got a Derby together. Of course, both of them have won derbies themselves in the past but never together and it was uh, it was a touching moment i saw todd as the horse was coming back and could actually he had some heavy shades on he could see a tear uh streaming down his face so uh looking at lee the horse says oh man the one hole terrible well we all said it, the one hole for looking at lee doesn't mean anything because the horse doesn't even get into a gallop till after a half mile and gallop he did down through the lane at big odds and uh so he, he he caught the second spot, and uh, uh, rounding it out was a battle of Midway, and uh, a nice uh, n- nice price in there. Uh, let's see what our uh, uh, the uh, oh no, I'm going to hold the hold the price for the Kentucky Oaks. But you know, if you can get the favorite to pay. that's not too bad, and that's what's always dreaming paid in the Kentucky Derby. Of course, uh, he's going on to the Preakness. We'll take a look at a couple of the other horses going to the Preakness here in just a second. And the Kentucky Oaks, as I said, the tables were turned able, Tasman was able to turn the tables on Paradise Woods. The one thing we did say about Paradise Woods is that she was lightly raced. Spectacular in her last two starts. Her big one was the last start before the Oaks, the Santa Anita Oaks, where she got a 107 buyer. I know Dan Illman liked it, and some people were calling her the heir apparent to beholder. I believe she only beat two horses uh, in the Oaks after uh, looking good up front. Uh, Farrell, who was my pick, who uh, loves Churchill Downs, loves a wet track, did not love it. <laughs> on Friday, Farrell finished last in the race. So uh, what, what do I know? But nonetheless, uh, congratulations uh, to uh, the, the connections of Abel Tasman. Of course, Mike Smith in the saddle. He had a couple of big wins on the day. So those were the two biggins. Maybe we'll get back to some of the races on the other card. Uh, in the meantime, let's take a look at at the news of the week uh, of course i hope you pull down your uh, your easy win forms because on uh, uh, derby day We uh, pulled down a $1 super high five that paid $1,805. Had a real good week at Mountaineer. $1 super key that paid $2,661. A uh, $1 super box at $2,599. And a $1 super high five that paid $2,020 go to winningponies.com your easy win forms want to congratulate the winner of our handicapping contest who will remain unnamed because he says that his cousin Vinny wants to borrow money off him so we're not going to we're not going to mention that so again i already mentioned the races that we're going to play at belmont pull down the easy win forms and don't forget there's going to be a, a free national handicapping online qualifier that's going to offer 5 berths saturday on horseplayers.com free did i say free yeah yes so go to horseplayers.com and check out the contest of course uh, they're also you know partnered up uh, with the uh, www.ntra.com/nhc for all your information but again this is a free handicapping uh, contest that's going to take place on saturday okay Uh, Let's uh, move along. We uh, already mentioned Always Dreaming. He's already uh, bedded down at Pimlico. He has been out on the track just kind of stretching his legs and jogging. I was in on an interview with Todd Pletcher today, and he really said, you know, with only two weeks between races and as well as he won uh, the Derby, still came out of it awful good. You know, didn't seem, you know, that he had spent himself on the track, but he sees no reason to really probably breeze him it could happen sometimes they breeze themselves uh but uh, nonetheless he says he's going to take it easy out of between uh now and the preakness so he settled in not a whole lot's going to happen now um also flying in with him was royal mo who was on the derby eligible list but he did not draw in to the field of 20 in in the kentucky derby and uh today uh Interviewing with uh, with Gary Stevens. And uh, of course, he was disappointed he didn't get to be in the derby, but he is still very high on Royal Mo. He said he he just, uh, you know, ran with the pace the whole way in the San Anita Derby. He thought he was going to get second battle of midway uh, nailed him at the wire. Only by a half length. He missed the whole uh, top pot. Of course, Gormley was the winner. Only by a length. So uh, Gary Stevens, very high on John Sheriff's Royal Mo. Uh, He's looking forward to uh, facing Always Dreaming in the Preakness. Of course, a horse that's also going to be there. uh, Considered by many the pre-race favorite in the Derby. Classic Empire. All you have to do is go back and look at the replay. And because of that gate situation, where there was a gap between the first gate and the second gate, actually the second gate looked like it was at a little bit of an angle, uh, the uh, Classic Empire was just wiped out, not only once, but several times during the race. uh, He got hit with a stone somewhere along the running. Uh, He has an eye injury, uh, but uh, Mark Cassie today... Uh, Said that uh, it's really something that uh, will heal up, shouldn't impair his ability to run in the Preakness. He says, I just, I deserve a chance to get back. He said, between the sloppy going and the way we got bounced around, Julian Le Perou came back and said, I can't believe we even finished that race. He said the traffic was amazing. Of course, a lot of talk about changing it from a 20-horse field down to a 14-horse field like the Oaks. But I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. It is the Kentucky Derby. So Classic Empire is going to get back in the gate and try to avenge his loss in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, Again, uh, Mark Cassie also talking about the track stats and the fact that... uh, he ran, I believe, 95 feet farther than the winner, and you start adding that up, and that puts him right on the wire uh, if he didn't lose so much ground, get bumped around, and obviously somewhere along the line uh, got hit in the eye with, with something, um, may, what may well have been a, a stone. So, uh, we're going to see there, it looks like uh, Gunna going to try to get back into the gate on, on Preakness Day, and... Uh, Probable for the Preakness is looking at Lee, that late stretch runner, though it's a shorter race uh, in in the Preakness stakes. So uh, others will be conquest, conquest, mo money, and term of art will be going to the Preakness. So we'll see how that shakes out. We got another uh, week to go. And again, in the Oaks, Abel Tasman, as I stated early, just stormed home to win the Kentucky Oaks. So Baffert didn't have a horse in the Derby, but he sure had a nice one in the Kentucky Oaks. So he got to sit back and enjoy it. I wonder if he went to the window, 20-40, 9-20, and 6-40. So congratulations uh, to him and his connection. Uh, You recall earlier this year that uh, Kaleem Shaw took horses away from Bob Baffert and gave him to Doug O'Neill. Well, as quick as that happened, he has taken his horses away from Doug O'Neill. No real uh, response to media requests. And uh, it looks like trainer Simon Callahan is going to inherit uh, those horses. So uh, Johnny V, not a surprise here, named Jockey of the Week. It was just fantastic. I saw his, his wife and daughter greeting him uh, about midway on the stretch as he headed up to the turf course to go get his picture taken in the winter circle. It was an exciting time. Well, Chantel Sutherland, the jockey-turned-model-turned-jockey, she reached win number 1,000. Of course, her best years were from 2009 to 2011. In 2010, she won a career-high 159 races and earned more than $7.4 million. And in 2011, her second career-high of $8.7 million. So she is back in the saddle and uh, reached 1000 congratulations to Chantel. and in the birthing room zenyatta gave birth to a magdalia di oro philly i've seen photos online looks fantastic. It was just two days ago. Of course, uh, Zenyatta, who won the first 19 races in her career before losing that Breeders' Classic by a head bob to blame. Uh, She she is the only one to have won the Classic when she did it the year before in 2009. So she has two of her offspring have made it to the races. Uh, Cosmic won a Colt by Bernardini uh, who failed to place in two starts, and Zyconic, a four-year-old Tappet Colt who's winless in Six tries. So sometimes it's it's hard to emulate a superstar. Now because this foal was born May 9th, they're thinking about giving her a year off so she doesn't have a late foal. Because uh, th- this foal will be playing uh, you know catch up to a lot of horses uh, when they start to turn three. So uh, that that's a look at the national news. Um, Hope you had a great Derby weekend. Hope you got some uh, winners. And uh, if you listened to the show last week and listened to my man Ed Meyer give out his Oaks pick, uh, you pulled down a very, very nice ticket once again, 2040, 920, and 640. And you know what? We're going to take a break. and we come back, we're going to be talking to that handicapper, Ed Meyer, right now. We'll be right back. You're listening to Winning Ponies.
2: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. And they're off. What?
3: All right, and with me a guy that we've had on many times, a former host of Winning Ponies. He's an odds maker, he's a track announcer, he's a handicapper, he's a all over great guy, the man I admire, admire. Ed, how we doing? John, I couldn't be better. My goodness. I'll tell you what, my head's level to knock it out of the side of the room here. Well, you know, I, I had some pretty respected handicappers on the show last week, and uh, you know, uh, Tom Law and uh, and Dan Dan Ilman, and, and uh, you know, you come up with the twenty dollar horse. A very very proud of you, young man. Very proud of you.
1: Well, I, I don't know what's better, the twenty dollar winner or becoming young man. I, I enjoy both, but thank you very much. And John, that was a that was a lot of fun because I was actually able to tune in and hear Tom and Dan. I, I think, and I think. Uh, Tom is an incredible handicapper as well. Dan has a certain swagger to his handicapping, and man, does he just break it down to whatever level of player you're at. You enjoy. You're just. It's kind of like a, like a great steak dinner, a fine glass of wine. You're just enjoying it. Everything he said was spot on with every horse. I, I was really, really impressed. Having just to be a part of that show, it was a lot of
3: fun. Well, then stay tuned after your segment, because we're going to have his stable mate up, Matt Bernier, who's just as slick, in my opinion.
1: Oh, the, back when uh, Horse Players was actually on, on the tube, John, for, for a very short run, which really disappointed me to no end, I told you about a young gun that was really going to just, he was going to delight the public, because he, had a, he also has a swagger and, and a really good handicapping ability. I was very impressed with Matt Bernier all the way around, John.
3: All right. Well, listen, let me just I'm going to throw a couple races from the undercard at you just to get a quick response. Feel good race of the day, but proven over a three year period in the Woodford Reserve. Our buddy Buff Bradley gets it done with the Versadero. That was pretty cool. I know you saw the post race celebration.
1: I I did see it, and you know, I was, I loved it on social media to be able to see Buff doing his thing, and he's one of the good guys in racing for sure. And to to see him actually getting it done, and to visit there, run a beautiful race down the lane, John, and it, it, it comes home like it was just. Five minutes ago you could do it at, the, at the eighth pole you knew that it was over there was just such momentum and grace and power all at once it was like oh my goodness you, if there was only a window that you could bet with now you you would have doubled down the, uh, doubled both hands down i was really impressed with the visit there all the way around
3: yeah and exploding is a stretch is where he did it ed uh, at the half mile pole he only had one horse beaten in a pretty full field
1: You know, that's something to be said. We didn't have fast and firm and sunny. There were a lot of things to overcome. Now, that's that's the nature of horse racing. I've always enjoyed uh, that, especially over the synthetics, for the only reason that there are things to overcome. There's muddy, there's, there's a tiring track, there's, there's a blistering, hot, fast pace track. I like when you actually have to overcome that in, in England in Europe, and Europe and all points elsewhere, John, they run on a turf course that's yielding. In Australia, I've seen it labeled as dead. A track that is dead and dawdling, and, and I've seen him run on every type of surface. Actually, I think it's you know you're testing your metal on that day. It's always not going to be fast and firm in just perfect conditions. I think if you won on that day, you were the real deal.
3: Okay, well I want to get uh, your your response on, on another race, um, and uh, this this was the the American Turf. How do you overlook Mike Smith? On a horse, that's going to pay 32 bucks, Arclo getting the job done for my friend Jerry Crawford. And Donegal Stables, where my grandmother's from.
1: <laughs> you know, anytime you overlook Mike Smith at that, at that kind of price, shame on you. I, I, everyone that I absolutely spoke to on the day that was going to play a pick four, a pick five, a pick three, they were not using. And I was watching the price as they were loading the gate, I thought, my goodness gracious. Now, this is almost worth a $2 bet into itself just to, just to have Mike Smith in, in the day prior having a, a $20 horse with Mike Smith aboard. Prices in Mike Smith are incredibly rare to find them. He can get the job done. He, he's proven it so many times over the years that, you know, it, it doesn't matter if they're 99 to 1 or they're 1 to 9. You get the same quality powerhouse ride that Mike, only Mike Smith can give.
3: Yeah, I was happy. Jerry Crawford's a great guy, too. Now, let's get on to the Derby, some interesting things. I know from being uh, on on Facebook with you, you keep your ear to the ground of what's going on out there in the the interweb cyberspace places. Um, A lot of chatter going on out there about how the gates were set. When you look at that overhead shot, that auxiliary gate almost looked like it was at a little angle, and, man, that sure... uh, Did not help at all uh, Classic Empire. I thought he got slammed at the start, not to take anything away from Always Dreaming. But Classic Empire pretty much lost all champ by a half mile.
1: It was a little rough coming out of the, the derby gates, but when you have 20 out there, and I'm not going to blame a sloppy track, it was, uh, it was an off track. They, they were at the top of the stretch, as you said. Coming out at, at an angle, you definitely don't want to get caught even further out. And you know the playing position, that first eighth of a mile, maybe quarter of a mile at tops, means everything. You want to drop over if you can. First, I wouldn't take anything away from always dreaming. Always dreaming ran his heart out every step of the way. There wasn't a time where Always Dreaming was able to just relax, maybe enjoy a little slower fraction. Always Dreaming ran every step of the way, which really just, it caught my eye, you know, starting off, I I didn't, didn't have it in my wagers, nor anything that I wrote about, but I'm still ultra impressed. I mean, once again, John, we, we've, got, we've got another favorite. You know, the favorites have been, they've really been kind of swatting pretty uh, pretty good in the Derby these these past number of years. I, I would like to say that, uh, what is it, uh, the favorite reigns. I, I think that it's going to be tough to wheel in. Uh, ever since they've, as I was reading in, in Horse Racing Nation, it was ever since they had the Kentucky Derby point system, the favorite has, you know, has been the winner. So I, I think they had the right horse this time. I, I, I really do. I think the public was was squared away and locked in.
3: You know me. I'm not afraid to bet a favorite. But man, would I love to bet favorites to pay eleven dollars and forty cents to win. <laughs>
1: that, that's to me. That's not a favorite. When we're we're talking that favorite, it's six to five. It's four to five. Okay. They call it the old chalk eating weasel. When you're playing runners like that, John, there's to me, there's there's no problem. There's no no shame in that one. An old friend of mine said, "If you found eleven dollars on the floor, would you pick it up?" Heck, yeah, <laughs> I would. And I, I, you know, there were so many things that that, that really kind of stood out. Once again, the Florida Derby was the best prep again, pushing forward. And you know, the the big thing in, in everything that I've ever read about that you. You have to be about, not even mid-pack, you can't be three to four lengths out any worse. And at no time ever was always dreaming. At most was only, it was second by a length and a half. That was as far out as he was. Johnny V knew that there was going to be a quick pace, and then it was going to slow down and kind of rash out again, but always dreaming stayed close. I, I have to, I have to give him the big kudos. It was a beautiful ride. I mean... You know, it, it. You win some, you lose some, but it was like watching a symphony for me, the way John Velasquez put it on.
3: Absolutely, it was beautiful. Well, let's rewind the clock to a day that I was wet the entire afternoon, uh, Oaks Day, and, uh, and and again, that you were talking about the conditions that uh, uh, Diversadero had to run in, and all the all the turf courses over that two day period. Um, that that course was absolutely soaked. I can tell you that. But that uh, that aside. Um, good friend of mine gave me a, a big tip, and like I said, I'm not afraid to bet favorites, but the um, combination in the Edgewood States of La Coronel and Dream Dance, and it, it, those two, it, it, they sure weren't friendly uh, uh, entry mates coming down the lane.
1: I said that if you got even money, consider it Christmas. It was so beautiful. I said, I really don't know which one can win, but I know one of them will, <laughs> if not they, And they were trying to push a dead heat job. They came down, they locked horns, and you got your even money. And, you know, something that you brought up in handicapping many moons ago with me. You know, if you like you like the even money shot there, that's fine. You know, bet your five bucks to win on it. But also bet about five bucks to place, because if they win, if they get four bucks... And running second, you probably get that much, if not more. That held sway. I felt that that was my best best play of the day and it was even money i can't say that i was so proud of it but you know i, I springboard off of that one and came back to, to bet abel tasman uh, uh, you know which really kind of uh, it kind of helped my uh, momentum just to, you know to play off of a, of a nice little even money winner you know that you're right you know you got a few extra uh, ducats on the on the table here you get a square price you get nine to one better than nine to one with mike smith I mean, it, it, one led right into the other, and I would have to say th- those were my, my best two races that I played over the weekend.
3: You know, and uh, also, the, the Kentucky Oaks, you know, it, when, you, when you look at some of the top trainers in the country, and I'll mention Kenny McPeak and Billy Mott, it's hard to leave their horses out of a race, but when there's you know that many horses, and sometimes you do, Daddy's Little Darling runs second, Lockdown runs third, And the $2 trifecta in the oaks with your Abel Tasman on top at $2 tri paid $5,727.
1: I mean, it was some big-time shooting that day. I really enjoyed watching him down. I was really impressed with Daddy's little darling, John. I mean, by no means. Coming off a Keeneland race, you know, I thought, well, okay, it's worth a good watch, and let's see what Kenny McPeak, this guy is like a riverboat gambler. He's got more aces up his sleeve than 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 anybody out there. Never discount Ken McPeak and say, well, well he's not on the Chad Brown circuit. He's not a... I beg to differ. This guy brings him to the table, and he comes to win. And and I'm really impressed with Kenny McPeak. And I know that you've had a a personal relationship. You've known him many years professionally. Over the years, you you were there probably when he settled his first winner.
3: Yes, I was. I have a video of it. When I, I, before they tore the track down, I saved it and I gave it to him. It was actually on a beta tape. I said, here, you're on your own now, <laughs> Kenny. you got to figure out how to dub this thing over. What's interesting is is uh, the, the horse that ran just behind Daddy's Little Darling in the Ashland uh, that prepped for the Oaks, you'll be calling that horse on Sunday at uh, Belterra Park. Someday soon should be installed as the favorite, the Tomboy Stakes.
1: Well, you know, I'm actually going to be working on the the morning line here shortly, and and I was going to look at it first. I was going to look at the old weather report, see what Mother Nature's got in store for us, but I agree. I, I, you know, I don't know exactly where it's going to be. I know it's going to be a nice size field, John. So you know, you're, you're probably going to get a better price than what you actually would think coming in. You know, the big, the big question in my mind is, you know, are we gonna are we, we going to be able to maybe see just a halfway decent day where we can run on the greensward? And you know, I think the Belterra Green, you know, when it's it's tight, it's tight. It, it looks good. But you're, you're right. Someday soon, run a huge race. Uh, Tommy Liggins' horse. Uh, uh, someday soon. I mean, in the Ashland, I mean, that was a sweet price. And with Declan Cannon aboard, and I think I had said that actually when he was an apprentice, I said I was really impressed with this kid. So going to that, uh, you know, off to the Ashland to Belterra for the Tomboy Stakes this weekend, I I think this is going to be a nice little runner to watch.
3: Well, obviously, they ran out of important people to give the trophy out. And so I will see you on Sunday as I'll be presenting the Tomboy Stakes trophy there at Belterra Park, Steady.
1: I cannot wait, John. And no, you're wrong. It's not they ran out of people. You were all the buzz. It was, is John going to, does he know that? I I think he knows the way, and I think it'll be here. If he said he is, if John tells you it's going to rain, get an umbrella. (laughs)
3: <laughs> well, Just tell him <laughs> to spell my name right in the program. It's a tough one. Ed Meyer, thanks for being with us. Thanks for giving us an upset winner uh, last week in, in the Oaks, and I will see you in person on Sunday, my friend. John, thank
1: you so much. Best of luck to your listeners, and listen up to this next young man. This guy, Matt Bernier, is good.
3: Yes, he is. And so is Ed Meyer, and so are the people that we have on Winning Ponies all the time. We're going to take a little bit of a break. When we come back, we're going to be with one of the main men at the Daily Racing Forum, Matt Bernier.
2: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: And they're off.
2: What?
3: All right, and with me, another one of my favorite handicappers. Right now, he, he has blossomed so much, coming from horse players to DRF, that uh, he's got his own show on, on Fridays. Who knows where this is going to go? Uh, he could get syndicated, be on real television soon, the Matt Bernier show that airs every Friday uh, on DRF.com. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing very well, John. How are you? I'm exhausted I'm still I'm still feeling the <laughs> the aches and pains from uh, walking around with 30 pounds of camera equipment on my back uh, a Derby day but I mean my spirits are high I'm doing well I didn't lose money I didn't make a big hit uh, one of my sons did fairly well so it's nice to know that dad passed on a little bit of the handicapping gene to some of the kids and uh, so so things are going good um, well um, overall you know let's just let's just touch on on, on Both days, both races. Uh, We'll start with Friday, where there was uh, an incessant mist. It didn't pour the whole time, but it certainly set the tone for the turf course and the main course over over the next two days. Um, Was there uh, anything outside of the Oaks that? caught your eye, perhaps the uh, that tough Edgewood stakes between the two stablemates, La Coronel or Dream Dancing, uh, Benner Island and the Eight Bells. I, you know, you tell me.
4: Yeah, you know, the interesting thing for me now that we've had sort of a week or so to digest the results from Friday and Saturday, I think the interesting thing now going forward is going to be to take advantage of the horses that come out of races where maybe they were in sort of the, the favored position on the racetrack so on the main track it certainly seemed like speed was advantageous and particularly the inside as well on Friday throughout the day considering the you know the like you say the the sort of pestering little myth that, that was ever falling but it never allowed the racetrack to really get out of its own way um, like you said I mean you know the Kentucky Oaks itself I was probably the, the most vocal that you'll ever find about Paradise Woods. I thought she was just unbelievable. I really think that, I still think the future is incredibly bright for her, but I really thought, you know, I I didn't think it was very likely that she was going to find anyone to upset the apple cart, regardless of the pace scenario, regardless of the racetrack, regardless of the lack of experience that she had. And uh, unfortunately, for my point of view, I I was wrong. You know, the, the pace was just incredibly fast early on, and I don't begrudge the connections of Miss Sky Warrior. They made it clear we were going to go out there. We're going to take the race to Paradise Woods, and they did so. And they actually put her away. They, you know, they won the battle, but unfortunately, they lost the war. Um, you brought up some of the other stakes, the Edgewood. That was. I almost wonder if Mark Cassie was a little bit disappointed that they scratched out of the race on Saturday against the boys because they could have won the Edgewood alone with Dream Dancing the way everything's set up. So. Get a lot of good results. I did like Benner Island going into it. I thought she was over bet, but she was a, a solid winner as well as Union Strike coming in from the West Coast, uh, running second in that spot. It was just it was an interesting Friday. I just think going forward, uh, all of us as handicappers take advantage of these horses that were either with or against the racetrack on Friday.
3: Yeah, you know, on I'm, I'm, I'm Paradise Woods' uh, past performances, she looked like a shadow uh, of uh, the derby winner. You know, uh, lightly raced early, all of a sudden puts in explosive races, in particular her last start, a grade one. And, uh, you know, she just, you know, she looked like, uh, you know, always dreaming on paper. Uh, Again, a lot of people, and I think it's going to be legit between the full fields and, and the off track, are going to have excuses coming out of these races last weekend. Absolutely, and, and that's
4: the thing too, you know, as handicappers, and I, I say handicappers, I'm thinking more so my own personality, I need to be a little bit more forgiving of certain races, because, you know, immediately in the aftermath of the Oaks, I looked at it and said, man, you know, I know it was a fast pace, but she was on the best part of the track, and X, Y, and Z, and I really thought that she was going to go out and put on a show, and when she doesn't do that, it, you know, initially I was very, very disappointed, But you go back and you look at it a little bit more, and you consider just how fast they did go early on, and you look at anyone that was relatively close to the pace. This includes Farrell, who backed out of it before either one of the true pace setters did. I mean, anybody that was close to the front end in that Kentucky Oaks basically finished up the racetrack, and all of your horses that came from well off of it, they took advantage. So I probably do need to be a little bit kinder to the likes of Paradise Woods and Miss Sky Warrior, um, and I do feel bad continuing to talk about all of those scenarios because it kind of gives short shrift to the winner, Abel Tasman, who she may have had the best of it as far as the setup is concerned. But um, she's shown that she is a very talented Philly in her own right now. She's a multiple grade one winner. So um, you don't want to take away too much from the winner. But you also do, you know, as a handicapper, you need to acknowledge that she had the best of everything.
3: Well, I will tell you, your your partner Dan Elman. That was that was his second pick last week. And you know, I'm not in the Hall of Fame. Bob Baffert is. Who am I to question him throwing blinkers on a horse that's already shown that she runs really well without him. Obviously, the combination of that and having Money Mike in the saddle wasn't a bad combination.
4: No, not at all. And like you say, a little bit of a peculiar move for Baffert, but. The thing I needed to continue to tell myself and we talked about it a little bit in the Oaks preview you know keep in mind with Abel Tasman Baffert had only had her for one start it was the Santa Anita Oaks so he was figuring her out just as much as she was figuring him out and you know usually I'm on board 100% with the idea that you know I don't want a major equipment change prior to a giant giant race to this point in her career the biggest race of her life but again like you say, Baffert's in the Hall of Fame he's won a heck of a lot of races and he knows what's best, and, and clearly the blinker's on. That was that was the difference maker for
3: him. Well, I uh, had this conversation with Ed going to Derby Day net right now. Um, my favorite part of Derby Day, aside from the run for the Roses, was the Woodford Reserve. What a job Buff Baffert's done with this uh, Diversadero. You know what? It's,
4: it's fascinating that this horse, the past three Kentucky Derby days, has graded stakes victories at Churchill Downs on the turf twice in the turf classic, once in the American turf. I mean, you know, particularly for, I don't want to say a lower profile or a smaller barn, but Buff Bradley does so well with the stock that he gets. And then I remember when this horse broke his maiden on the turf at about 40 to 1, we all kind of perked our ears up and said, Buff Bradley doesn't do this kind of thing. It doesn't happen. This horse probably can run a little bit, and and you certainly saw it. You know, Edgar Prado has, has, had ridden him tremendously throughout the beginning period of his career, uh, but I do think the addition of Julian Leperu uh, was a very timely sort of change because uh, I thought he gave him a very, very good ride, and he knew that he was sitting on a powder keg. Once he got him out into the clear, DeVisadero uh, took care of business
3: yeah absolutely and i pointed out to ed i was watching the board because i had bet the horse i'm thinking oh my god we're at the half mile pole he's only got one horse beat on this yielding probably tiring track and then i just kept watching that little chicklet (laughs) move up move up move up and finally i got his got an eyeful of him the horse was absolutely game knew where the finish line was and got the job done and and yeah you know to be honest buff he does have a small stable. He doesn't have a big stable. Stable, but when 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 here's a guy with with I won't say lesser bred horses, but horses that didn't cost a million dollars like Brass Hat and Groupy Doll, yeah. Uh, can bring them into the realm of winning over a couple million dollars. Uh, you know, he's got the key. This guy's a horseman. And and, and, I, and I hope these guys with the money that are giving all the horses, the big-name trainers, say, you know, I might want to give this guy Buff Bradley a shot because he certainly uh, does a whole lot with not the best stock sometimes, and uh, he turns them into good horses. He certainly does. And, and there are other trainers throughout the country that
4: you could say the exact same thing for. I think of in Southern California, one of my favorite trainers is Kristen Mulhall, and she doesn't get any sort of giant, giant price tag, you know, big big breeding, big pedigree kind of horses. But considering the horses that she's got, she gets the most out of them. She spots them where they belong. And, again, you can say that about Buff Bradley. You can say that about so many different uh, trainers all across the country that, you know what, just because they don't, you know, they're they – not in the you know the Grade One Kentucky Derby, or they don't have the the half million dollar yearling, It doesn't mean that these people are incapable of training. They, they, a lot of people do tremendous work with maybe not the greatest stock and talent to work with.
3: Absolutely. Well, um, boy, this is just flying by. Let, let, let's just keep going here because we really haven't uh, uh, talked about. The Derby itself, Um, I don't know if you were on the uh, NTRA conference call uh, today, uh, but, uh, you know, Mark Cassie, he wants to get up to bat again. He really feels, you know, not and, you know, he's not the kind of guy, a sour grape guy, but he just feels with the way that those gates were split. That a horse had a dead aim on him coming out of the gate. Uh, Le Peru came back. He said, I don't know how we finished that race, let alone ran fourth. Um, he said he had the worst of it all the way around. Horses horses were, you know, bumping him. And, uh, you know, as you know, he came back with a, I'll just call it a black eye for now. Uh, somewhere along the line, he got hit with something. Um, and he, he, he wants a chance. You know, it was last year's champion, sloppy track. Bumped all around the track, um, and, a, and a horse that uh, you, you know has the quality, and he, he's ready to come right back at, at Pimlico.
4: Yeah, I, I think he's going to be a very dangerous classic empire. I, I feel like there's a scenario in which, you know, Dick Girardi a couple of years ago wrote an article talking about American Pharaoh and how he actually believed okay, he won the Arkansas Derby leading into the Kentucky Derby, and he won the Kentucky Derby. But, but Dick wrote that he thought the Derby was actually the race that got that horse tight and ready to go for the giant performance in the Preakness and the big, big performance at Belmont for the Belmont Stakes and the Triple Crown. I almost feel like there's a scenario where you can lay out a similar narrative for Classic Empire this year where, okay, he wins the Arkansas Derby. I know Mark and Norm Cassie knew they needed to get a good, tight race into this horse, but he probably wasn't. 100% as far as fitness is concerned, uh, you know, when you factor in how little he had actually done leading up to that point. And then the Derby, he had so many things go against him, whether it was getting sideswiped out of the gate, being hung wide between horses. He still came on at the end. And like you say, he got, sounds like he got that big old, whatever it was on the racetrack, some sort of big slot mud thrown back in his face. And he got a bit of a swollen eye. I almost wonder if the Kentucky Derby is going to be sort of the race that shows that this horse now all of a sudden he is tighter than tight. He's ready to go fitness wise. I think you're going to be expecting and probably seeing a peak effort from Classic Empire. The best to date out of him whether or not it's good enough to beat Always Dreaming. We'll find out.
3: We w- we will and 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 to shift the conversation back uh, to always dreaming. I mean, uh, just a sensational performance. Uh, the combination of Johnny V and Todd Pletcher was uh, great to see. Actually, emotional, um, and uh, you know he. John just put him in the right spot on the track, made sure he got position. I mean, when you're talking about 20 horses, um, you know, anything can happen. And uh, he he certainly proved that his only stakes race, uh, the Grade 1 Florida Derby, uh, was no fluke. And uh, according to everything that... Pletcher said today, it's like I'm really probably not even going to to breeze him before the preakness. Uh, You know, probably just, you know, jog him in the mornings and, you know, keep him fit because he was already fit going to the Derby and the Derby didn't take anything out of him.
4: Uh, I tell you what, he was about as impressive as you're going to find a Kentucky Derby winner. And I understand he had a perfect trip, but, you know, it's that sort of old adage. You know, good horses make good trips. They get good trips because they're pit- capable putting themselves in that position. I also thought it was one of John Velasquez's best rides, and I know he didn't have to weave in and out of traffic or anything, but just the little things going onto the backside, angling the horse out into the clear, as opposed to staying down on the rail. Um, this horse, and he ran. I mean, let's not gloss over the fact that the opening quarter was sub-23 seconds, half-mile, was 46 and change, and and this horse, he extended down the lane, looking at Lee, took a shot at him, but he could never really get that close. The beautiful thing about this horse is, and always dreaming, if you give him the lead, he'll take it. He's not afraid to go out there and take a field gate to wire. I wonder if he is as good, if not better, sitting just off of a target and then inheriting it and just kind of kicking him clear, uh, regardless of how you position him. Uh, he's shown that he is, he is the good as far as talent is concerned, and you know, I don't think it's too early to start thinking, what if? If he gets through the Preakness and we get to Belmont for the Belmont Stakes uh, June 10th, uh, you know, this, he has, I think, all of the sort of attributes that you would need should he get to the Belmont with a chance at the Triple Crown to possibly get it done.
3: Well, you're, you're reading my mind, Matt. <laughs> that was going to be the next statement or question that I was going to have saying that it. it If he does beat the horses that decide to take a second shot at him or the fresh horses, as you always see every year, that, you know, did not have to expend themselves at a mile and a quarter, Uh, they'll come in and there's some uh, talented horses that are going to take a shot. Um, You know, we could be back in the 70s. You know, we could see two triple crowns in a short amount of time. Um, He's certainly in the right hands. Uh, He's got the breeding bode meister's first crap god we don't even know how good he might be down the road uh but certainly his performance i believe he was second in the derby second in the preakness uh you know so you know it wasn't like he was some kind of slouch so you know what can i say all things are pointing north and i must say i really enjoy uh those uh uh boys from brooklyn uh celebrating after the race (laughs) They're a fun yeah, bunch. Mean, you,
4: you, got, you, got to, you got to feel good for for a group of people that get into it, have so much fun with it, and they get rewarded with what
3: you could call the horse of a lifetime for them. Absolutely. Well, like his, he said, his wife said, well, we're always dreaming, and that's how the horse got its name. Well, uh, let's say uh, horse racing returning to your backyard. Uh, we talked off the air briefly. And uh, there might be some rain in the forecast for the New York area at uh, Belmont Park. You know, over the years, and I don't have my Bible with me, my DRF racing manual, which I usually keep by my side, but I'm in a different studio right now. Uh, Many horses have come out of this race. They don't even have to win it and have gone on to win the Belmont Stakes. I know Woody Stevens used to use it as a launching pad for several of his Belmont winners, and that's the the Peter Pan. It's a mile and an eighth. It's at Belmont Park, so you get familiarity with the race. And uh, we got to see how this race sets up, because uh, you've got some lightly raced horses that are looking like they're jumping out of their skin. That would be timeline. Chad Brown absolutely on fire with a 40% win percent. And then you've got Master Plan who took the road less traveled. Um, A Todd Pletcher trainee that will have Johnny V up that made its last start in the UAE Derby, uh, finished behind the ill-fated, not that he's not with us anymore, but Thunder Snow who threw that Bucking Bronco routine in the Derby. <laughs> and uh, Epicarius, who is touted as one of the best horses on the other side of the pond, uh, we just don't know enough about the master plan other than he's in the right hands with Pletcher and Velasquez.
4: It's going to be an interesting race. You've only got a field of six, but as you alluded to, you know, the Peter Pan historically a major, major prep for the Belma. I think the most recent horse that came out of the Peter Pan to win the Belmont may have been Tonalist the year that California Chrome was going for the Triple Crown. But you brought it up, Master Plan. We'll find out how good he actually is. I think there's some talent, and I don't want to hold Thunder Snow's antics against anybody in the UAE Derby. I feel like that's a very unfair thing that I've been hearing recently, that because for some reason Thunder Snow didn't want to run last Saturday, all of a sudden the UAE UAE Derby was no good. I don't believe that for a second. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with it. exactly I agree 100% and I think anybody that says that is making a mistake Um, timeline looks like he could be anything You know, he moved up in a big way on that wet track at Aqueduct but his debut score down at Gulfstream little bit green but talent sky high I think he's the most likely winner Uh, my pick in the race is meantime for Brian Lynch he most recently won by the length of the stretch at Keeneland over a sloppy or a uh, muddy sealed track I should say at a mile and an eighth, the distance is no issue. And the reason I like him more than anything, there's not a lot of speed in this race. I think Jose Ortiz has one way to go. You put him right on the front, timeline sits just off. And as far as I'm concerned, I hope the two-speed number, give me 3-2, meantime, over timeline.
3: Uh, I I like it. Yeah, again, we don't know Sky's Limit could be it for timeline, that explosive move. I mean, uh, as a three-year-old, if in your second start you're uh, recording a 101 buyer, uh, I'm happy to have that horse in my stable.
4: Absolutely. He looks like he could be anything, and that's the most impressive thing about him, that he's done all this in only two starts, and you look at just the pedigree at face value, hard spun out of an empire maker dam. Boy, you just look at this and say he's going to want to run all day visually. Boy, he never looked like a loser at Aqueduct most recently.
3: Well, the best move Gainesway ever made, besides getting Tappet, is bringing Empire Maker back. Because, Matt, in, in, in the last year, every time you look at a horse that has – well, not every horse, but there's so many horses that have scored big in races that are either sons of Empire Maker or – out of brood by empire maker it's amazing the, the footprint he's leaving on the breed so uh hats off to you from a pedigree stance there for sure uh the bogey is uh, one of my favorite horses in there uh that's uh miss temple city uh the club racing uh owns and grand motion trains uh this horse uh Ran third in the Sands Point at Belmont. He's pretty been well-traveled after that between Keeneland, Saratoga, and Del Mar, making its debut. One of my favorite all-time uh, jocks, who I think has been overlooked in the last couple of years, Edgar Prado, gets the call on Miss Temple City. Uh, do you think she's coming into this race well enough off her uh, works?
4: It's going to be very interesting to see what Graham Motion does. He's already sort of hinted at the fact that if it's very, very wet, he may just scratch her and train her up to the race at Royal Ascot, which, boy, if she was able to accomplish a feat like that, would be an all-time training job for Motion. Uh, if she goes on Saturday in the bogey, she's strictly the horse to beat. Uh, I don't think that the wet track should be too much of a hindrance to her. I just feel like she's going to get a little bit overbet for my money uh, I'm more interested in the number three, Hawksmore. First start of the season as a four year old for Arnaud Delacour, who I think is one of the best up and coming trainers. And uh, really, the Mrs. Revere, I'm just going to draw a line through it. For some reason, she didn't pick her feet up that day. The QE2 Cup down at Keeneland, I thought that was a fantastic race last year. Her first start in North America, she was on a hot pace. I know it doesn't look that fast fractionally, but you look at some of the pace figures, it was certainly a contested pace early on and she just got run down late by time and motion was also in this spot, but I like Hawks more because there's not a lot of pace in this race. I think Leperu gets her to the front. I'm hopeful that she rebounds in this spot.
3: All right, Matt, uh, my producer's tell me I only got three minutes left, so we'll have to do some speed capping for the next two. <laughs> the man-of-war, a mile and three-eighths on the turf that will be yielding if it does go on the turf, and uh, it, it's an interesting group because uh, the odds maker had a hard time separating of course. The German-bred Wake Forest won this race last year.
4: It's really wide-open racing. There's so many different ways. The most intriguing entrant is the mare from Europe, uh, Zukova. She, she looks like she could be anything. Uh, I'm going to give a shot with the two, Charming Kitten. Mike Maker, Ken, and Sarah Ramsey. Most recent start in the Elkhorn down at Keeneland. Over yielding going. Made a big, big late move. The thing I'm most interested to see what Erad Ortiz Jr. does, this horse has shown tactical speed in the past. I'd like Charming Kitten to be more forward. 15 to 1 on the line. You might not get 15, but I think this horse is interesting. Over yielding or soft ground.
3: Well, speaking of making the line, I wouldn't be a, your odds maker for, for the ruffian. Uh, these horses are all well within a couple points of each other on the odds board. Who flows to the top for you, Matt, because it's wide open.
4: If it comes up, a very wet bar of gold is going to be very, very tough to beat. All five of her lifetime victories have come on wet tracks. The most recent time she was on a wet track, she earned a 109 buyer speed figure. Having said that, I'm going to take a shot against with the three-highway star, this is a horse that she is 6-for-6 six six going one turn. She's 0-for-3 going two turns. They go one turn here in this spot. she got some tactical speed. And the best thing about her, she wants to beat you. She's going to grind and grind and grind until she gets by you. I'm going to take a small shot with the three-highway star to win this race.
3: All right. Well, God only knows what odds you'll get because things are going to change uh, by post time. Matt Bernier, thanks so much for taking uh, time out of your uh, your busy evening. You do a great job on DRF Live. Love listening to you and the whole team and uh, wish you nothing but the best. And again, appreciate you being with us. Thank you so much, John. We'll talk soon. All right, that was Matt Bernier from uh, the Daily Racing Forum. And our buddy Ed Meyer came on earlier in the show, came up with the uh, the big win in, in the Oaks. Again, uh, we had a lot of people enter into our, our derby contest. And so uh, I haven't heard from the powers to be yet, but I'm guessing we're also going to have contests on the Preakness Stakes and the Belmont Stakes on winningponies.com. Uh, aside from the big races at Belmont, of course, there's going to be races from coast to coast. And we cover them all on winningponies.com. So check the site out. It's got some fantastic places uh, for you to go. And you pull down your easy win forms. Again, congratulations to everybody that uh, that played in the contest and that, that managed to uh, uh, end up in the top six because you all came home with something. So, again, for Matt Bernier, for Ed Meyer, and for my producer big ed i thank you very much i am john Engelhart. you're listening to winning ponies if you got a friend that missed the show tell him to tune in we gave out some hot spots for belmont on saturday so with that said remember when you go to the races wherever you are bet with your head